Today is Friday, October 21st, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Fighting to get the military vaccine mandate ended. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Joining me as always, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faith Wire with a look at what's coming up. What's going on, guys? Happy Friday. Wow. I'm I'm pumped. It's the fall. Yes. It's Friday. I'm going to get a right? pumpkin spice latte. I'm feeling good. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe like where we are in October. Like the year, the, the year has gone by, but the fall is just already flying. I'm not Chase ready. Thinking about Christmas. He's thinking that's about Christmas. Well, that's true. I'm yeah. always thinking about Christmas. Did you decorate yet already? No. Well, it will probably happen this coming <laughs> well, okay. week. I'll be honest with you. All right. Yeah, I can sense the disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember the days when Thanksgiving used to be the the marker for Christmas. What's that? Uh, yeah, the tray's like, nope, we're doing it in June. So, <laughs> all right. So, couple. I mean, we're going to look at some alarming numbers on these "quote unquote" gender affirming surgeries. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, well, not interesting, alarming sort of trend that's going on there. And um, also going to take a look at where things stand on the midterms as it's getting close. I mean, it's October twenty first now, so it's rapidly approaching. Where do things stand? We'll have that with John Stolness on the main thing. But first, we're going to go through some of the headlines here in 90 seconds. 17-year-old Daniel Moshi of Chicago was doing the thing he loved to do most when he just suddenly died on stage singing during a tragic incident at a suburban choir event. And his mom is speaking out, and she said they told us that while he was doing a solo, he just passed out, he collapsed, and we don't know anything else. She uh, added that, uh, amid the tragedy, they're leaning into their faith. She said, you can see my eyes. I've been crying. I can't sleep. I haven't slept since Friday. But it's, I don't know how to explain it. We believe what we believe in. The Lord is keeping us going. It's not easy. We were supposed to buy him a car, but we're actually now doing his funeral. It's not easy for any parent to go through this because we still don't have answers. So prayers there for that family for sure. And believe it or not, if you're in the military, the vaccine is still mandated, but a former Marine captain is trying to change that. It's the same man who helped end the military's anthrax vaccine mandate back in 04. His name's Dale Saran, and he's now representing more than a thousand service members in two separate cases that he hopes will end the current mandate. And even though China's population controlled one-child policy is now a three-child policy, there's a brutal fact that remains, many pregnant women are still forced to have abortions. CBN's David Brody has the story. You can read all about that and more over at CBNnews.com. Uh, guys, I, this a lot going on, but um, I'm interested to see which one jumped out at you. But I mean, this vaccine mandate, it's, it's shocking to me now that the military is, it's still actually a thing that they're mandating this. Well, yeah, especially because where we are with COVID yeah. right now is not, this isn't the Delta you know, variant, right? right? No. Now, and I know there'd still be opposition to a vaccine mandate, you know, if that were the case, but, but. For me, I'm just looking at this thinking people aren't really dying from this anymore at the rate they were. Give people freedom, right? I mean, that's the part that sticks out to me. The fact that we know that the the vaccine isn't really doing anything to protect other people, right? Because it doesn't prevent transmission. It doesn't even necessarily prevent infection. And pretty much everybody kind of admits that. So I'm wondering then what's the... 
what's the right. necessity for the rule if because if usually if you have a rule like this it's because we're protecting other people uh but in this instance it's not really doing anything to protect other people so it's hard to find actual reasoning for keeping a mandate in place like that particularly like you said billy when most people at this point not really significantly harmed at all by COVID. Yeah, and I feel like there's a little bit of gaslighting going on when it comes to what the narrative was earlier on in COVID, because now that they're kind of admitting a little more freely that, hey, no, the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission, and everyone's like, well, wasn't that kind of the entire basis? And they say, no, look, we were we were talking about that over over back at that time. Look, and and you can find on the website buried there in paragraph 52 is some, you know, obscure line about how this doesn't really stop transmission, maybe reduces it potentially, but they don't know yet. Um, But that's not what the general tenor was in the media. It was, hey, get this vaccine. It stops it dead in its tracks. You're not loving your neighbor if you don't get this vaccine. And so it's that was the narrative going on. And now that we know that that's not. The, not the case, and even the press at large admits that in their narratives, it would stand to reason that you shouldn't force someone to get this if primarily it's only helping the individual who takes or doesn't take the vaccine. Well, yeah, and, and that's and that's the thing. It becomes hard for people to trust. But I think at the end of the day, when you talk about the military, people who are giving up their lives yeah. and fighting for freedom, you know, there's freedom in all these other areas. It, you know, my kids don't have to have it. Other people don't have to have it at their jobs. If we're offering that freedom across the board everywhere else, why is the military not? Yeah, and that is a question that I think we're going to see continue to be explored. We'll see how this case pans out. We'll report on any updates with it on cbnnews.com and uh, faithwire.com as well. Head into our next story here and this alarming data about kids and these so-called gender-affirming surgeries. There's been a difference here in the last few years. And Trey, what's, uh, what's going on there? What are the numbers showing? Yeah, I think alarming is is the best word for it or it, i mean it's at the very least alarming right if, if not more so yeah. newly published data shows that there's been an enormous spike in the number of adolescents who've undergone gender affirming i put that in air quotes uh, chest reconstruction surgeries so essentially double mastectomies in just a few years so in 2016 there's about 100 kids who had these these procedures for transgender reasons in 2019 that number went to 489 Mm. uh, which is a 389 percent increase uh, in just a matter of years Uh, so that data was based on statistics that were gathered by the nationwide ambulatory surgery sample uh, and showed that more than 98 percent of those procedures were masculinizing uh, which means that they were performed on females Mm. uh, who had their breasts removed to look more like males because that's how they chose to identify. But you have to remember that these are kids. I think that's the, yeah. the the most concerning part of this is the researchers found that most patients who underwent double mastectomies ranged in age from 12 to 17 years old. Uh, the majority were up toward the end of that spectrum at 17, but about five and a half percent were reportedly under 14 years old. So, I mean, but even at 17, you're still talking about kids who are not legally able to do, they're not legally able to do a vast majority of things adults can do, but they're allowed to do this, which will forever uh, and irrevocably alter their bodies. Yeah, and you think about these parents that are bringing them in there and sending them into this and kind of, quote unquote, affirming this, and it's life-altering stuff. So 
Is there more context to this uh, on these numbers that, uh, you know, we can look into? Well, and you also have to remember, too, that there are some parents who are fighting this and then they end up in the court of public opinion, either right. being completely ostracized or in some extreme cases, they actually go to court and they're removed moved from, from having their rights as parents. We've covered some of that at CBN News uh, and at Faithwire. It certainly has happened in other countries. In Canada, there have been some examples, but there's been even a handful here in the United States. So, But all of this comes the same month that Vanderbilt Pediatric uh, Gender Clinic, uh, which is part of the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, uh, announced that they're going to stop their transgender surgeries on minors. Uh, that was a decision, though, made after a whole lot of intense uproar. So last month, Vanderbilt was the subject of a lot of controversy after Matt Walsh over at the Daily Wire uh, shared videos from the medical center with people on staff there and professors at the university as well, proudly admitting that they perform transgender surgeries on minors and even you know, kind of shaming medical professionals who might have a religious opposition to performing these kinds of surgeries or just a moral, uh, you know, concern about it, uh, essentially shaming them and saying, you need to get out of here. This is not the place for you. Uh, you, you know, you, 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 you can't oppose this for any reason. So there's been a whole lot of controversy and Vanderbilt has decided to halt doing those procedures, at least temporarily, uh, which I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certain is, is certainly tied to the uproar that they received. Yeah. It's, and it's sad that this has sort of become a political issue, right? Um, yeah. now you're seeing people fall along party lines on whether or not you support gender affirming surgeries for kids. And that just shouldn't be the case. This is an issue that you would think you would get sort of a spectrum on each political party. I mean, you'd hope that honestly, it, as we're mutilating children here, you'd hope that it would be a universal thing. Um, but it seems like we're so conditioned now, guys, to just sort of retreat into our tribes that people go, wait a minute, which... Now we look at stories and we say, which tribe does this fall into, mine or the other one? Mm. Okay, I will leap into defend mode without thinking for themselves. Yeah, well, and and I think that the the big thing here with children, obviously, and and this is what we're talking about here, but you can't undo some of what's being done, Yeah. right? So right. if somebody wants to do something at age 13 or 14 or 16 and they change their mind at 21, which we know is happening, obviously, all over the place, well, that's a problem because some of these things cannot be reversed. And so th there's so many pieces of the puzzle here. It would seem to me that even an atheist should be able to look at that and say, that's a real problem. These are children who don't know what they really want in life. Yeah. Well, it's so frustrating to hear people. So when you bring up those cases, like you just did, Billy, of people who have regrets or want to reverse what they've done, uh, and then the the talking point is, well, that's such a minority. You don't like you shouldn't be saying that. You're making a, you know a rule out of this small exception. Well, the reality is, all of this is brand new, right? Like we just started doing all of this stuff within the last few years. At least we just started mainstreaming it within the last couple of years. Uh, so of course the numbers are going to be small. The numbers of people getting this stuff in the first place uh, are, are pretty small, but fastly growing. Uh, so I, I think, you know, we're going to see more and more people wanting to reverse this as this trend continues. So, I, you know, just because the number of people who are reversing it are, is small 
all that means is the number of people who are openly talking about wanting to reverse it uh, are small. I, I think that number, like I said, is certainly going to continue to grow as this trend continues to grow and, and is pushed even further by our, our mainstream culture and certainly our media. Well, and I think this is where we have to start arguing as Christians. You have to start speaking truth into these issues because right. you're seeing these things challenged. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, the atheists coming on board and um, but the basis for it, when when people start presenting these ideas and where we used to have an overlap with, with Judeo-Christian values in large part, things like sexualizing our children were universally condemned. And, and now that you're getting this segment of society trying to push those boundaries, th- they're realizing, you're seeing that when there's no ultimate basis for this, you get a lot of people going, oh, I guess, yeah, okay, I guess that is sort of, you know, freeing and let them be their authentic self. And all these ideas and these buzz phrases that get thrown out to make something acceptable, that becomes their basis. Well, they're just being their authentic self. Well, what is your authentic self? And that's where a Christian can speak into that saying, no, you're made in the image of God. That is your authentic self. And he doesn't want you to mutilate your own body. Um, and so, and he made you, he made us male and female. Those are the sorts of basic truths that you can speak into as a Christian. But when you start adopting all of these cultural buzz phrases, you have now a new basis and that's how you see these things start to get accepted across wider culture. Yeah. Well, it's at the end of the day, the gospel of the self has reached a fever pitch and this is where it takes you. Right. And, and if you're sort of in that mindset, anything goes and yeah. that's what we're really watching happen right now and and look people's lives are at stake yeah. here and it's just it's unbelievable that we're even having to talk about it but it here is. we are it is and their yeah. it and their souls are at stake too and so you know we got to continue praying for this and pray for wisdom and how you can speak truth into these situations in your neck of the woods because you it's as trey noted in his story the numbers are getting wider and more prevalent and i if culture keeps going the way it's going, you know, popular culture that is, media, Hollywood, et cetera, you, you can only expect those numbers to grow. So you've got to prepare for that. So um, that won't be the last we hear that one, I'm sure. So thanks, Trey, for bringing that one. We'll look for more uh, on that topic in the future. That leads us into our main thing today, guys. And we're going to take a look at where these key races stand. I mean, we're, the midterms are rapidly approaching. They're going to be here before you know it. Where do things stand right now? Who's looking to be in the lead? Who, who's got uh, favorable numbers? Who doesn't? Uh, John Stolness is breaking that all down on today's Main Thing. Well, we are in the home stretch here with the midterm elections, just 18 days until polls open on November 8th. And of course, many Americans have begun voting early as well. So where do some of the key races stand with two and a half weeks to go until the election? As we know, the Senate is currently in a 50-50 tie, and Republicans need just to net one seat in the midterms in order to wrest control away from the Democrats. Democrats had been hopeful of holding on to the Senate, but an increase in gas prices and consumer goods over the last couple of weeks have muted some of that optimism. And while President Biden's approval numbers have gone up some over the last few weeks, it hasn't been a wave that lifts all boats. Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada, three states won by Biden back in 2020 that Democrats were hoping to hold on to. In the House, Democrats have the majority for now, but just by eight seats. 
And there are a number of seats being held by Democrats up for election in areas where Republicans are making big gains, maybe as many as 50. And there are some important governor's races to watch as well. So where do things stand in the polls? Understanding that polling is not an exact science and there have been major issues with polling over these last few election cycles, it's a good time to take the temperature and these numbers may be at least instructive as to how accurate that polling is. One of the most hotly contested races is, of course, the race in Georgia. Raphael Warnock leads Herschel Walker by just two points, 48 to 46 percent. That is in keeping with where this race has been for the most part. Trafalgar in early October had the race as a plus one for Warnock. So right now, Warnock holds about a two-point lead on Herschel Walker here, virtually unchanged even with the controversy surrounding Herschel Walker over the last couple of weeks. There's also a big governor's race that we're keeping an eye on in Georgia, and Governor Kemp leads Democrat Stacey Abrams right now 51 to 46 percent. That also from the latest Emerson College polling the Hill poll out this week. In Pennsylvania, you have one of the most closely watched races as Democrat John Fetterman is up 47 to 45 percent over Dr. Mehmet Oz in a new Trafalgar Daily Wire poll. That also is continuing with a recent trend as well. USA Today back in late September had Fetterman at plus six and the the general lead for Fetterman has been anywhere from two to four points in most polls. Real Clear Politics has it as an average of 3.2, with all polling going back to September 23rd. In Wisconsin, Republican Senator Ron Johnson is leading Democrat Mandela Barnes 52 to 46 percent in the latest Marquette University Law School poll. There's also a close governor's race in Wisconsin as Governor Tony Evers has just a one-point lead over Republican Tim Michaels in the gubernatorial race, that according to the Marquette University Law School poll. In Nevada, one of the key states, again, that Democrats were hoping to hold on to one of their Senate seats, most polls have Adam Laxalt, the Republican, up by one or two points, while USA Today has Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democrat, up to either way. All of the numbers over the last few weeks in Nevada point to a toss-up, meaning that will be a close race to watch on election night. Could go down to the wire, could go to, uh, could, it could take an extra couple of days to figure out who wins that race, even when all the votes are counted. In Arizona, the Trafalgar Group Daily Wire poll has Republican Senate nominee Blake Masters pulling closer to Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. Kelly now leads 47 to 46 percent, according to that poll. Other polling showing similar numbers, KPHO-TV's poll from October 12th and 13th has Kelly up two, while Insider Advantage's poll from October 11th has Kelly up by four. So again, Kelly holding just a couple point lead right now over Blake Masters for that Senate seat in Arizona. Meanwhile, in a governor's race that is getting a lot of national attention because it's Republican, Carrie Lake has closely aligned herself with Donald Trump. She currently leads the Democrat Katie Hobbs, 49 to 46 percent. That's also in the latest Trafalgar Group Daily Wire polling that came out this week. In Ohio, J.D. Vance currently leads Representative Tim Ryan in the race for Senate there, 46 to 42 percent. That's according to Signal. That lead widening a little bit. USA Today, a couple of days ago, October 11th through the 15th, their polling had Vance up to Trafalgar. October 10th through the 12th had Vance up by three points. So uh, it looks like J.D. Vance is maintaining his hold on this race by four percentage points here this week. Also, GOP Governor Mike DeWine is beating Nan Whaley by a substantial margin in Ohio, 56 to 38 percent. 
In Oklahoma, another governor's race to watch there as Republican Kevin Stitt is in trouble. Joy Hoffmeister leads him 46 to 45 percent in a new Amber Integrated survey. That would flip that seat. As Republican Stitt is the incumbent, Joy Hoffmeister is the Democrat. Ascend Action has their polling showing Hoffmeister up 49 to 42 percent, a much wider range of 7 percent there. However, for the state's two Senate races, Republicans appear to have a comfortable set of victories ahead of them. Incumbent James Lankford and Representative Mark Wayne Mullen lead their Democratic opponents by 16 and 13 points per Amber Integrated. In North Carolina, Republican Congressman Ted Budd is extending his lead over Sherry Beasley in that Senate race. He's now leading 50 to 44 percent, according to the East Carolina University study. Other polls have him at 48 percent, leading by four points there. In Michigan, a governor's race we're watching there, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer's lead over Tudor Dixon is getting smaller by the day. The latest polling from the White Law Firm and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters have her up just 48 to 44 percent in that race. In Utah, the latest Deseret News poll from early October shows that incumbent Mike Lee has a five-point lead over independent Evan McMullen. McMullen, a former presidential candidate who ran as an independent, uh, again, trailing Mike Lee by five points. That lead was as small as three points at the beginning of September, but Mike Lee appears to be holding steady there in, for that to, main, to hold his Senate seat in the state of Utah. And finally, as we look in Florida, incumbent Marco Rubio, the Republican, is holding a pretty safe edge against Democrat Val Demings. The latest Mason-Dixon poll from late September has Marco Rubio up six points over Demings. A Siena poll from September 18th through the 25th has Rubio up by seven points in that one. So after all that, right now, Real Clear Politics, their projection has the GOP picking up two Senate seats and regaining control of the Senate. They also have them retaking the House by a substantial margin. And in the governor's races, they are predicting a GOP pickup of two gubernatorial seats. That is where things stand as we enter the home stretch. All right, John, thanks for a look at those election uh, polls and how everything is going in those races. Appreciate that. And that leaves us with time for one last thing today, guys. Billy, let's head over to uh, Proverbs 29. Yeah, it's Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. And it's sort of a <laughs> it's sort of a comical, you know, but but really true verse in light of where we are right now. And, you know, culture, politics is downstream from culture. Culture is a mess. But you know what? Politics is because of that. And so who we elect does matter. Yeah. It does yeah. stay engaged. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say is, is stay engaged in the culture. So I think we have to kind of manage two things at the same time, right? Know that we're of a, we're, we're part of a kingdom that supersedes all of this, but we're also living in this temporary world. Uh, and we have a responsibility to, to, to speak truth into this temporary system, uh, but realize that that's not where our value is. So right. it's kind of, it's, you know, finding that balance as believers in this world. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it for this week. Thanks, as always, for being here with us as we journey through the news of the cray each and every week. It, it doesn't get any less crazy. That's that's for sure um, on the crazy scale. It just seems to keep going up. So we appreciate it being here. Thank you. And head over to CBNnews.com, faithware.com for more news from a Christian perspective. We'll see you back here on Monday. God bless. <laughs>